As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The Champions League is back and to be fair, so is the Europa League, Man United fans, which means there's no better time to sign up for all the unrivaled coverage at The Athletic. Right now, new subscribers can get a half-price annual subscription that works out less than £1 a week for an entire year. All you have to do is head to theathletic.com slash totally. But hurry, you've only got until the 25th of February. That's theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show, European edition. Champions League is back. From Barcelona to Budapest, we get the picture on four big fixtures, plus Europa League, why Dortmund have picked a Rosa, and how Milan lost to the Spezia one. It's all coming up in this Totally Football Show European edition in association with Paddy Power. Tuesday the 16th of February, listener. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, with us on the Toby Football Show European Edition, as ever, Alvaro Romeo Caicho. Caicho, how are you? Caicho, how are you? Very well, thank you. Great. Julien Laurent, you look well. Bonjour, you too, James. Ah, merci. James Foncarto, hello. How do, James? Yeah, very well, thanks. And Raphael Honigstein. Hello, James. Yes. Rafa's excited, everybody, for the return of European football in random stadiums. It's a bit like when game makers can't license the real grounds, so they just kind of stick them in other kind of... I preferred that. I love the Pro Evo version of football, you know, Chamartin, um, you know, playing. That's, that's what I like. Okay, but I'm sure you're going to like this week as well with games in some of the great European footballing cities, but also Budapest as well as uh, the likes of uh, Rome and Turin. Interesting. Uh, 16 teams in action in the Champions League. This week we got on Tuesday Barcelona taking on Paris Saint-Germain. Leipzig against Liverpool. And then on Wednesday Porto against Juventus and Sevilla against Dortmund, which could be interesting. Next week it's the other eight. So that's Atletico Madrid, Chelsea, Lazio, Bayern, Atalanta against Real and Borussia Mönchengladbach against Man City. Who's your favourites? Who's your dark horses at this point before we get back underway? Alvaro. On the basis of what I've seen, Manchester City is my favorite to win the Champions League right now because they are in a top form in the 
English top flight and also in English football because they, they don't stop winning in the FA Cup, in the League Cup. So yeah, that would be definitely my favorite. And regarding the underdog, it's a little bit more difficult to, to see one. Maybe RB Leipzig could be one of those, but uh, can we consider them underdogs after having reached the semi-final a year ago? I don't think so. Interesting question. Rafa thinks they're uh, underdogs in the clash with Liverpool, certainly Tuesday evening. Would anyone disagree with Alvaro's description of Man City as the favourites? No, but I think they were favourites two years ago when they were putting up 100 points or more in the Premier League and they couldn't do it that time. And also last year when it, it felt like they could focus on the Champions League because Liverpool was so far ahead. Again, uh, it didn't happen for them either. Um, so it's not to say it won't happen. It's just, you know, as with as with PS, PSG, there's, there's something to be said about having sort of this competition in your DNA. And so far, it just hasn't really happened for, for either of those two clubs. Sorry, Jules. Uh, but you're right, though. And, and I just wonder if at some point, even if they were ahead in the league, if, if, if all that history and that troubled history with the Champions League could come back and, and haunt them or make it harder for them to, to go all the way. Which club are you talking about, Jules? Both of them. But, especially, uh-huh. but City, City, because they never even got to the final. But mm. I, I, I don't know. I just think it's not that easy when you get to those big games, in, in especially now of a, that we're back on two legs. I think Bayern Munich we still be very strong and I'm not sure if City right now are more favourites than, than, than Bayern Munich, for example. I still think that Atletico Madrid and they can't be dark horses because they're too good. I'm not sure they can be as full favourite as City or, or, or Munich, but they certainly could be there and around again because I think they might be able to focus purely on the Champions League because the league at some point, and that could be soon, could be won. So I think it's, it's quite interesting, like we've been saying from the beginning, because of this very special season, I think it's, it's quite open. Mm. Bayern Munich, of course, freshly crowned champions of the world. Statistically, it's likely to be a Spanish side that wins it. A Gazetta pointing out on Sunday that since Inter picked up the last trophy for an Italian side in 2010 under Jose Mourinho, of course, Spain has beaten Italy in terms of cup wins 26 to 0. In fact, of the 42 cups assigned since 2010, Spain has won more than half, 26 of them for Spain, only seven for England and six for Germany, and none whatsoever for Italy. Wow, that's extraordinary. It, it is, and I think that all things considered, um, Spanish teams, they, they, they will still be competitive, but um, between 2011 and 2016, I think that uh, there were always two Spanish teams in the semifinals. And uh, that was the golden time of Spanish football, I would say, with uh, Atletico and Real Madrid uh, playing an all-Spanish finals in 2014 and 2016. But uh, the last Spanish club in the Champions League semifinal was Barcelona losing at Anfield. So and that happened almost two years ago. So I don't think that the Spanish clubs can consider themselves more favourites right now than any other countries. Uh, however, it's true that uh, normally when it comes to playing in Europe, they show a competitive edge. And uh, last season, it was disappointing for Spanish clubs in the Champions League, yes, but Sevilla won the Europa League. Indeed so. All right, well, we'll look ahead at the prospects in the Champions League and the other one in the course of today's show. First of all, though, let's catch up a little bit on what were the moments of this weekend with Paddy Power. Rafa, what's been your moment of the weekend? I think the moment of the weekend came on Monday, James, if that still counts. Every day it's is when, weekend. No. 
yeah, it's when Marco Rose's move to Borussia uh, Dortmund was confirmed, uh, around about 20 past two. Badly kept secret, but still very sensitive timing because the two of them are in action in the Champions League. The two of them will be up against each other in two weeks' time in the German Cup in the quarterfinal. So it's it's a difficult one, I think, to get right timing-wise, but the situation had come had become a little bit distracting because Rosa's first question he had to answer at every single press conference, every post-match game is, are you going to Dortmund? Are you going to Dortmund? Are you going to Dortmund? And I think they had no option but to come clean uh, in that respect. Rafi, why did this always happen in Germany? You know, it's always before a big game, you know, like Bayern due to play Dortmund. Ah, Bayern announced that they're signing Mario Goetze or Robert Lewandowski. Or more recently, Bayern about to play RB Leipzig or, or Leipzig have a sort of big game. They're very much in the title race. Ah, we're signing Upa Meccano. It just always seems to, seems to come out just when uh, it seems to be a pivotal moment for the team that is losing a talent. Well, we'll, we'll come back to that one, Raf. Let's get James's moment of the weekend first. Well, I suppose it's got to be Spezia. The fireman of Spezia pouring uh, cold water on uh, Milan's title challenge because Milan went to uh, play them on Saturday night. Uh, they got beaten handsomely. Uh, in fact, it could have been worse. It was one of the best performances we've seen against them this season, along with the one that Atalanta put in at San Siro. And it means that Inter uh, had their opportunity to overtake them on Sunday and take it. They did. And it feels like a very pivotal moment in the title race, James. So I think we'll get to it a little bit later, but we'll be saluting Vincenzo Italiano, Vinny Italian, for being the well, I think we've already spoken about him as being one of the most promising uh, young managers coming through in Italian football at the moment. Absolutely. Milan having worse results with Italiano since uh, Luis Suarez went to Perugia that time. Uh, Jules, <laughs> what's your moment of the weekend? He <laughs> I think it has, to become, it has to be just before the weekend and the uh, Neymar injury in the, in the French Cup against Caen, uh, a game that maybe he didn't have to play. But he's only got injured, which means that he will miss the game against Barcelona first leg, very likely the second leg as well. And once again, when those key games come, he's not there for PSG. Right. We'll hear much more about that story. Alvaro, what's your moment of a whatever time period suits you? <laughs> I think that the, the moment of the week was the fantastic goal that Lionel Messi scored from outside the box on Saturday evening. Uh, that was important for Barcelona just to consolidate themselves in Champions League spots. Uh, Alaves lost 5-1 against them. And uh, maybe more generically speaking, the fact that the Spanish teams are ready. Uh, Sevilla, Atletico, Real Madrid, Barcelona, they are all winning comfortably lately. And uh, they have such a such a difference between themselves and the fifth on the table that they can focus on the Champions League. Mm, interesting. Well, we'll be starting off our roundup of the midweek games with one of those sides, Barcelona, and their clash with Paris Saint-Germain. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend. Brought to you by Paddy Power. Defences may be looking shaky at the moment, but Paddy's offers are rock solid. If one leg of your four-plus-fold acre lets you down, get a free bet. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg, online exclusive, no shot bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. Attention! 
C'est incroyable, c'est incroyable. Yes, it's the Champions League comeback the Catalans do like to talk about. The one where Barcelona lose 4-0 in Paris, then win 6-1 at the Camp Nou. Four years on from that historic night, Barca PSG all over again. Jules, are you ready to go again? Yeah, of course. I am, I am. I think I'm even more ready than PSG themselves because they're not playing well at all. They won at the weekend against Nice, but he was, it was a bad performance. They, they certainly didn't deserve to win the game. They don't have Neymar and, and Heldi Maria, who have, who have been the two best players in 2021 so far. So it's a, it's a, it's a tough time. I think Pochettino has done some good things since, since arriving, but there's, there's a lack of time for him to work on, on some of the ideas that he has with this squad. There's the issue with Kylian Mbappé and his contract and his future and also his, his own personal form. So I think there's a lot of roaring signs for PSG before going to Barcelona on Tuesday. It's not, it's not at all where they would have liked to be before such a big game. But Jules, one of those worrying signs isn't Moise Ken. should keep scoring for PSG. It's 10 goals in Liga. He should be starting. I mean, it's in some respects a blessing start. that Neymar is injured because finally they'll have someone who, in Ken, just always just seems to do the job for them. Yeah, but you can score against uh, <laughs> against Caen in the French game. This is Ligue 1, Jules. Stock. This is Ligue 1. It's one of the most yeah. difficult leagues in the world and he's scoring regularly in it. I mean, come it's on. Still a different, it's, still a, it's still different to score against Barcelona, albeit without any of the centre defenders, pretty much. But... It's, yeah, Kane, Kane will be an asset, I guess. It's, it's just how strong collectively they will, they will be. That's, for me, that's the key because individually you can, you can have an incredible moment if you're Marco Verratti or Mario Cardi or Kylian Mbappe, like Messi or Griezmann or Dembele can have one as well. But it's how strong collectively. For me, the, the strongest team collectively will win this tie over the two legs. And I'm just not sure right now. I don't think this Barca team is a very good team, but I, I still think that right now they're better collectively from what we've seen in the last few games, even in the defeat against Sevilla, than what we've seen from PSG and the Pochettino in the last three games. Interesting, because Pochettino is usually all about that collective strength. The Cardi and Kane playing up front in the absence of Neymar, and Bappi, of course, available. Uh, Cardi and Kane combining well at the weekend uh, in the victory over Nice. Uh, that time in 2016, sorry to bring it up again, but that was the third time in five seasons that Barcelona had knocked Paris Saint-Germain out of the Champions League. Am I right in saying it was the worst night in Paris Saint-Germain's history, Jules? 2017, you mean? Sorry, 2017, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This would be... It would be the worst, I mean, in any club's history. I mean... Didn't they make like a Faustian pact that night, Barca, and that coming back, it means that they've had to suffer subsequent remontadas themselves every mm. year since then. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is, this is the thing. If that was the worst night in the club's history, facing Barcelona across these two legs, how big is it for Paris Saint-Germain? Yeah, yeah, it's huge. And certainly there will, there's a huge desire of getting one back or having, having some sort of revenge. It doesn't have to be as spectacular as that night. And I mean, we can come back on that night. I think everything that could have gone wrong for PSG, including, I don't even know how to qualify the referee's performance on that night, but... It's true. That then they won. Good. They scored six goals. Good for them. You know what Suarez did and etc. I don't know. But yeah. So of course I think they they want to to show that they can they can also beat them over two legs. But certainly I think it would be a scar for, for forever. Quite cruel for you to ask this question, James. Um, Jules, given that PSG managers 
tend to be judged on their Champions League performances. Is this a game that will already shape what kind of reign Pochettino will be will be experiencing, or is it a little bit early and he'll be given some slack, considering he's only just come in a couple of months ago? Yeah, I think you're right. It's a good question. I think I think it's a bit early still. He only arrived at the beginning of Jan, and then and then this game arrived so quickly. What I, what I find really interesting, it won't be judged whether they win or lose unless they lose five and five, and then you're like, okay, right, there's there's clearly something wrong. But the the injuries obviously are already an excuse in a sense. If they were to lose, he will say, well, Di Maria and Neymar were not there in the first leg. This this was problematic, which it is to be fair, but. But I, I like the fact that he's such an Espanol guy that I want to believe that his 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 history with Espanol is so strong for you know for when when he well, when he played there to start with over three hundred games as a player as a captain then as a manager what he did there the um, the ideology almost against Barcelona as in FC Barcelona I want to believe that there's there's something in there for him to exploit with these PSG players with with what this game means to him as well because as much as he can say you know what, I've just arrived a month ago this this defeat is not on me I want to believe that for him as a former Espanol player and Espanol manager to go and face Barcelona in in such a big competition and knock them out for example would be very special so I I want to hope that there's something there that he can use to to make this game even more special Plus, of course, he's got that rivalry with Ronald Koeman as, as, as kind of former Southampton managers, you know, who, who can have the edge. Will they be wearing that jersey again at the Camp Nou, the kind of pink-blue art project affair that they had on against Nice? No, not, not this time. That was, uh, that's the fourth kit that they've just released, uh, the, the Jordan one. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's really bright pink and, and dark colours. I'm a big fan, personally. Not you many like people it. seem... Yeah, not maybe live simple. So I think the shirt is a bit brash. I give you that. the The rest of the range, so the jumpers, the the hoodies are really really cool. I have to say, the trainers, the Air Jordan trainers are really really cool. Air Jordan ones with the with the purple color is really cool. Nice to know. Uh, no Neymar, as you mentioned, uh, he's got injured in that uh, cup game against Caen. This means that it's the sixth year. If he's out for a month, as seems to be the. Uh, current forecast that this is going to be the sixth year out of the last seven that he won't be available on the 11th of March which is his sister's birthday now I know this is a coincidence but there are cynical folk Jules who will say (laughs) what's going on seriously suspended in 2015 suspended in 2016 17 18 19 injured Uh, in fact in terms of the last 16 he's missed all but one of those seasons extraordinary no yeah, I agree with Alvaro. I think there's there's the bad luck to start. I don't think he gets suspended or injured on purpose to go to his sister's birthday. And anyway, this is, this this year there won't be any any birthday for her anyway. Like like for him. So or really? it, the way I mean, there, there will no... be a birthday for her. It'll just be in isolation, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah but <laughs> you can't have the way party he didn't that party at Christmas. There, there was not much of a party at New Year's, at New Year's Eve. You mean? Yeah, yeah. I don't think so. Anyway, certainly not, so, not that he was there. But I think I, I that's not the way I want to see it. The way I want to see it is that PSG spent all that money on him, so they were hoping to to go far in Europe. If your best player is out every single year, you know, it, without being his fault, because it's not his fault if he's well, it's not his fault. He gets injured. You can always argue, like people have done in France, about his lifestyle, and maybe there's a point where your body 
can't take it anymore. Not long ago, he gave an interview on French television when he said, like, I will never stop partying because people should party. Party is life, party is this, party is that. Maybe there's a point where even if he parties less this year than he's ever done before, maybe there's a point where your body can't, can't take it anymore and that's where the injuries are more likely to come. I don't know. Parties is injury prevention. Now that he's stopped partying, the injuries have, uh, the injuries have caught up with him. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> no, no, it's the other way around. He had all those injuries because he was partying so much. I think there's a point where if you keep sleeping four hours a night because you party a lot and you're a professional footballer, I think there's a point where maybe your body can't take all of that anymore, the partying and the football side of it. And then, and then that's when you get injuries. And, I, and maybe, maybe that's, that's what people in France are saying. Maybe one of the reasons that he doesn't look after his body enough because he parties and because of the things he eats, maybe, or what he does, whatever. And that's why at some point, th those, those injuries are so much there. He was partying when he was in Barcelona and he was never injured compared to his time in Paris. But maybe with age now, it's harder for him to stay fit because of the combination between his lifestyle and the training and the games and the performances. I don't know. In, in Spain, we, we say your body is passing you a bill. And I think that he's been really unlucky because he missed, look, uh, World Cup quarterfinals, Zuniga, get him injured, a World Cup in Brazil. Then he missed, as far as I can remember, Copa America 2019 as well. And he got with an injury to World Cup 2018. And uh, he had a problem in the metatarsian before the World Cup too. Uh, Neymar's career has been, uh, unfortunately for him, uh, defined by injuries. But it's, it's really since he joined PSG. Before that in Barcelona, if you look at the, at the games, at, at his injury record in Barcelona is almost non-existent. Mm. In Paris, he he's played. Suspended. Yeah, yeah, but that, that's mm. not that's not through injury. I said his injury record. No, no, I know. Yeah, yeah. And, but but in Paris, he's played he's played fifty percent of the games. So I think there's a. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just the edge or everything that we've spoken about. But it's been really unlucky as well for PSG and for him to have that to go through mm. that. All right. Wow. Loads of storylines about this game. Neymar against his former club won't be one of them, at least in this first leg. There is some hope, I believe, that he might be available for the second leg. But, of course, Messi, this could be Alvaro, his, his last Champions League tie for Barcelona. If so, he's coming into it in some vintage form this weekend. Oof. Como se la preparó fuera del balcón del área. A very expansive Messi, let's, let's put it that way. Um, again, uh, choosing when to accelerate, when to stop, when to pass, when to dribble. He wasn't perfect, but he was very active and he scored a couple of goals as well. So I think that he was running the show for Barcelona again. And, uh, you know, I think around Messi, um, some players are flourishing as well. And this is very important for Barcelona too. I think that uh, the problem with Barcelona is that going forward they are more than okay right now. Uh, I wouldn't say that they are uh, as prolific as they were when they had Neymar, Suarez, uh, Messi together. But they, they are scoring uh, a good amount of goals. But then in defense, uh, they're having a lot of problems. It's not only the injuries of Piqué and Araujo, who, by the way, both could be in the matchday squad. Uh, in the case of Gerard Piqué, it would be his, if he is in the matchday squad. Kuman said that uh, he will confirm that on, on Tuesday. Uh, Piqué hasn't played the game since November, so that would be a bit risky, but Piqué thinks that he can play. But uh, Barcelona 
has made so many errors that led to opposition goals this season. I think that it was six goals uh, that Barcelona has pretty much given away this season. And this is from Opta on the 3rd of February. Uh, that's the record in La Liga this season. They are giving away a lot of goals. And you can tell that uh, some defenders over there, they are still not very reliable. Barcelona could uh, field uh, Dest, Mingueza, Lenglet and Jordi Alba against PSG. This is not a reliable defense in any case. And uh, it's a bless for Barcelona that uh, Neymar is not there because he could basically destroy Mingueza or Serginho Dest, who are uh, so far defenders who have to prove themselves in the international scenario. So I think that the, the absence of uh, Neymar changes the, the tiger a little bit. I did believe in December that PSG was the overwhelming favorite for this game. Right now, without Neymar, and uh, considering how all right Barcelona is doing now, I don't know what to say. I mean, Barcelona has gotten seven wins in a row in La Liga. They are still eight points off the pace and Atletico has a game in hand. But Barcelona is doing very well. The only reason why there are no more compliments to them is because Atletico, they are in a tremendous form. Uh, but uh, the team has a distinct style again. I think that despite the financial constraints, uh, there is an understanding that the latest performances, not results, performances are the best thing that has happened to Barcelona over the last year. And uh, the team goes for the game. When they score one goal, they go for the second. And uh, they have vitality as well. Something that uh, last season didn't have because they had too many players over 30 playing. And this season, they've got some youth in there. So there are some positive news about Barcelona. Pedri, Frenkie de Jong. You can tell that those are the the midfielders of Barcelona for the future. Ansu Fati, when he's back, he will be very important too. The likes of Araujo, uh, just... Uh, you know, promoted from the academy. They seem to be defenders for the next 10 years. So, yeah, I would say that Barcelona gets into this game in a very good form. There is a positive feeling about the team right now, but at the same time, Barcelona has only tested themselves domestically. Uh, I want to see what they do in Europe, because uh, when they had a heavy test in Spain against Sevilla, against Atletico, against uh, Real Madrid, even against Juventus, they haven't been able, able to win. They are capable of winning the easy games, but uh, when it comes to big victories, I can only recall one that was uh, a long time ago against Juventus in a game that uh, Alvaro Morata didn't score a couple of goals because VAR assists. Mm. Well, he was offside, but... Yeah, yes. millimeters. Well, those yeah, but that's true. I mean, they, they haven't, apart from that win yeah. against Juventus, Barcelona doesn't have any, any big win under their belt this season. Interesting. Barcelona haven't gone out of the competition at this point since 2007. Could it happen this time, Rafa? What do you think? Yeah, I think it could happen. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a bad draw for, for both sides, really. Um, I think PSG will, will feel that they are perhaps psychologically better equipped for this game than they were maybe a couple of years ago. I think making it to the final, being possibly a better team in the final, would have helped them. Um, for Barcelona, I think all the things that Alvaro mentioned are, are huge. I mean, they are improving. They are on the up. They go into the game with, with a bit of new self-belief and, and a sense that this could be the last hurrah for, uh, for Messi and this team. It's a difficult one, really difficult one to, to call. Yeah, well, he could be having his future hurrahs, of course, for the other team, for PSG. PSG, who, Jules, just as we wrap this part up, correct me if I'm wrong, were they the only side in the top half of Ligue 1 this weekend to actually win? No, Montpellier as well, no? Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah, but it was it was a very weird yeah, Ligue 1 weekend with a lot of unexpected results. All right, and uh, Paris Saint-Germain moving to just a point behind Lille now. 
Even Monaco didn't win. Dropping points for the first time in 2021. All right, well, Barcelona against Paris Saint-Germain is going to dominate a lot of people's attention on Tuesday. But there's another game uh, this evening as well, and it's a whopper as Leipzig in Budapest take on Liverpool. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Hello, Sevilla Ilanda, who asks Rafa, who is favourite in Liverpool-Leipzig game? I think Liverpool are still just about favourites. I think they have more quality, especially up front. I think they've been perhaps getting results that are slightly worse than the actual performances in recent weeks. Leipzig are very solid. They are very strong defensively, so it could be a good matchup for them to maybe play on the break a little bit. But I just think over two legs, Liverpool should just about squeeze through. Hmm. Leipzig, of course, were up against English opposition in the group stages. We discussed this in, in Monday's Totally show. And at the time, they were looking quite an inconsistent side under Nagelsmann, but they aren't that anymore. Only two defeats in the last 13 games across all competitions. Four straight wins they come into this fixture on, with 10 goals scored in those four matches and only one goal conceded. Also, looking back on the group stage, statistically, they were the most intense pressers of any side in the Champions League. And I'm wondering how that's going to, how much of a challenge that's going to be for a Liverpool side who are not looking mentally and perhaps physically as strong as they were before. Leipzig rotated uh, last Friday. I don't think that Liverpool ever rotates right now, or they rotate very little because they've got many absences as well. So I think that Leipzig can keep this energy uh, in the Champions League too this time. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, um, I don't want to say the word momentum, There's, I think there are a lot of sort of indications that Leipzig are going into this game at a good time for themselves, especially with Liverpool's issues and Leipzig looking very solid, consistent. I would say that the game has swung towards them as far as the balance of power and the chances are concerned, but I don't think it's quite swung enough to make them favourites in my book. I still think that the amount of football that Leipzig need to play and the amount of sort of effort and and... And yeah, and hard graft they need to put on the pitch to score goals is is perhaps what what separates them from from being an out and out real superpower in European football. They don't have a Lewandowski up front. They don't have a Mosalao, Mane, or Firmino. They don't have uh, an Erling Haaland. They're a little bit light in those positions, and if you can shut down the midfield, then there's not a lot of ways for them to to score. So I think Liverpool. Yes, we'll be put under pressure. I think Leipzig's pressing game will disrupt Liverpool's rhythm and that's been one of the key problems for them. I think the build-up has been a lot more difficult without Van Dijk and his ability to play beyond the first pressing line. But at the same time, I think there will be there will be spaces and there will be opportunities. It'll be interesting to see what kind of Leipzig will turn up because by their own admission, they froze in the semi-final against PSG in the group stage they did much better. Uh, you felt that they had learned from it. They 
they kind of blew it against Man United at Old Trafford, but apart from that, their performances were pretty good. So I think they might be a slightly better side than they were last year. But I still don't think it's quite enough to beat a Liverpool team that I think if they go through would still have to be considered one of the favourites. Really? Irrespective of their domestic issues. Right. Three straight defeats for Liverpool coming into this against Leicester most recently before that Man City and Brighton before that. They got a rubbish record on the road. Seven away defeats in this competition since March 2018. Knocked out, of course, by Atletico Madrid in last year's tournament. The same Atletico side who Leipzig then beat on neutral ground in August. A lot of things seem to point towards Leipzig, apart from the fact that they weren't European You're champions. tipping Leipzig, aren't you, Jimbo? I'm it's kind clear. of tipping Leipzig. Yeah, you're really yeah, leaning pushing, on Leipzig yeah. here. Yeah, very, very, very strongly so, actually, yeah. We, ha- we have to say that Liverpool weren't bad against Atletico last year, but I don't think that they were bad against Leicester the other day either. They just had 10 minutes in which they collapsed completely. And, of course, football can be explained like this. I mean, you don't score in 70 minutes, and you don't, you don't do the job, and then you have a terrible 10 minutes and you lose the game. But... Liverpool can still offer long phases of uh, good football, really. They right. are just not getting the results, but I don't see them. Uh, or I can see them going back to their best uh, in a reasonable time. Definitely on time for the Champions League last 16. It's been more long faces than long phases uh, of late for <laughs> Klopp and, Absolutely, and Co. Yeah. But, you know, probably, Rafa, you're right. And, and they can bounce back uh, this Tuesday evening. Any, anyone else got any thoughts on who's likely to go through? I think it's 50-50. I just don't think Liverpool's defence back four, whoever plays as centre-backs, will be comfortable with all the first number nine that Nagelsmann is going to play, whether that's Olmo and and Forsberg or Nkunku and all that movement, I think could be a real issue for Liverpool. So I, I do think that Leipzig have a, have a realistic chance to knock them out, though. And I want to see how Alisson recovers because he's been quite shaky in the last couple of games against Manchester City. He made a couple of mistakes, serious mistakes. And I still believe that he should have shouted a bit more. And Klopp said that as well. He said that he didn't hear him shout when he went for that ball that uh, at the end he ended up missing. And, uh, yeah, you know, Leicester scored an, a, a very easy open goal. So I think that Alisson has to improve his form definitely because he's been a differential player for Liverpool. Well, for the moment, Leipzig, with their victory last Friday against Augsburg, still lying second in the Bundesliga. Four points behind Bayern Munich, although Bayern have still yet to play their game from this weekend. Uh, They were off last week in Doha, Rafa, of course, claiming their sixth title in a year, the Club World Cup, in which they beat uh, Tigres in the final. Pavard with the only goal. Uh, And there was much rejoicing. What, What was the German press reaction to this, Rafa? Well, in France, they would have written Les Tigres qui pleurent, of course. But um, in in Germany, it was mostly a a reaction about, um, you know, Bayern just turning up and winning. That was really the story. I mean, they didn't play particularly well. They had a few substitutions to deal with in terms of players not being available. Thomas Müller tested positive um, after the semi-final. He was, he was sorely missed. There were one or two issues. Um, you know, no Goretzka and Martinez, they were left at home. And Boateng had to leave because of personal reasons. But this is the difference, I think. This is what separates Bayern from almost every any other club in Europe, with the exception maybe of Manchester City. They seem to deal with these issues in this COVID year better than anyone else. Um, whether that's to do with, 
you know, the gap between them and the next team in the Bundesliga being bigger than anyone else, that, that could be an explanation. But even in Europe in the Champions League or now in, in this Club World Cup, they're not playing particularly well, but it's just good enough to win. And, you know, what you just won this, just kind of some sort of false full strength and they're not just waiting for somebody to to expose all their issues or is it because you know Bayern have so much depth that they can they can play at 85% they can play with a few players out and it doesn't hurt them as much as others we we simply don't know I think Lazio might not be in a position to give us a definitive answer either in the next round because of their problems but certainly it's shaping up to be another pretty pretty solid and convincing season which I don't didn't think might necessarily be the case maybe a month ago when Bayern ha- having a lot of bad results and actually played pretty badly in in in, in Germany mm. just on the subject of the Club World Cup in Doha special shout out to Ronnie of Palmeiras uh, for his penalty against Al Ali in a third place match did you see this very very special effort it's a mix of Pogba Zaza uh Bruno Fernandes, except that he missed at the end anyway. But anyway, you mentioned, Rafa, the depth of Bayern and they're about to get a bit deeper with the arrival of Upamecano from Leipzig. And that's for next season. AFC 27 says, question four, Big Raf, is the transfer of Upamecano the death knell for the Bundesliga competition? Rarely do you see the top team in other leagues sign the second team's best players. Well, we have a problem with competitive balance in the Bundesliga that's that's no news and it's to do with the financial imbalance between Bayern and everybody else they make about double what Dortmund make in turnover they make about three times what Leipzig make and the problem is even if you would insert some special transfer clause that says you know Bundesliga clubs cannot sell to Bayern or Bayern have to pay double or whatever if that was even legal it doesn't really change much because in this specific case as was the case with Lewandowski and anyone else you could mention if he doesn't go to Bayern, he goes abroad. And Bayern keep their existing starting eleven and keep growing and keep buying players from abroad and keep getting stronger in relative terms. And the other side still lose their best players. So it's not something that's easily solvable unless you are looking for a huge influx of new money below Bayern, which right now nobody really wants and it wouldn't be legal. Or you'd find a way of redistribute the income in a way that would really boost up the teams below Bayern. But again, it's very difficult to change. So until that situation change, Bayern are almost forced to do it because if they if they don't sign these guys like Werner or Harvards, they go abroad. And if they don't want to sign them back, they have to pay double the price. So it's not in their interest really to to let these guys go to to anyone else in Europe. But of course, in an ideal scenario, these teams would be in a better position. I mean, what what you can say is that it's no longer a given that a very good Dortmund player, let's say Jadon Sancho or Erling Haaland, will necessarily go to Bayern. Dortmund have been able to keep these players a little bit longer. And when they sell, they sell them for a lot of money, which might even be too much for Bayern. So we've made some progress, but not not enough in that respect. Dortmund and probably Sancho and Holland will be in action as well this week. They're at Sevilla on Wednesday. We'll come onto that game very, very shortly. Up next, though, it's the other Wednesday night game, Porto against Juventus. Oh, mate, keep going. We're almost there. Oh, the legs have gone. 
depression is hard, the weather is so mentally fatigued. Alright lads, already on the way down are you? How was your view from the top? <laughs> Have Liverpool peaked under Klopp? We're still undecided. And that's why when you create your own bet builder on Leipzig v Liverpool, we'll make it a risk-free £5 bet with money back as cash if it loses. Paddy power! Pre-match online bets only, minimum two legs, max cash refund £5. T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. All right, narrative fans, Cristiano Ronaldo is back in Portugal Wednesday night after what has been a mixed week for the old lady. Last midweek through to the Coppa Italia final with a niggly nil-nil at home with Inter. Conte and Agnelli having rows, people sticking middle fingers at each other and calling each other testicles. Then, just while Juve are celebrating, and it looks like Pirlo's nailed it, they lose to Napoli on Saturday. Penalty for Chiellini waving his arms in people's faces. Q wants a bit of love for Rina Gattuso, manager of Napoli, before we go any further, in honour of their win over Juventus, as well as his interesting facial hair. Also, points out Q, the 15th of February is 10 years since that incident with Reno and Joe Jordan. Oh, how the years fly by. Good Lord. Do you remember that day, James? I mean, it's fairly unforgettable, as was the punditry afterwards with Graham Souness saying he was like a little dog. Like he's not the best of players anyway. He's a little dog at best, Katusa. In my opinion, that's all he is, a little dog. Go get the ball, scuffle around. He's been very good at that in the past. He's now well past his sell-by date. I mean, he's certainly won a few things, Reno. Um, so I think he was more than a little dog. Um, but yeah. Uh, that was back when Milan used to be in the Champions League, uh, I suppose. I have to see if they can get back in it this year after that uh, defeat to Spezia. But, uh, I mean, there's a lot to unpack in that question there, uh, James. I mean, show some love for Reno. I mean, it backs against the wall, had to win this game. Um, certainly after going out of the cup himself, um, yeah, their title defence in that regard came to an end. They lost to Atalanta. Um, so you've got the Juventus-Atalanta final coming up. And... Uh, Napoli didn't play well in this game and yet they got the win um, yeah I mean Juventus I think scratching their head as to how they how they lost this game particularly in the second half where uh, you know it was a rear guard action from, from Napoli I mean uh, very attritional game for them uh, yeah I mean in, in fairness they were without their two starting centre-backs Koulibaly Costas Manolas um, Diego Deme in midfield Merton's still missing um, but there's still a lot of attacking talent in that team enough to do more than what Napoli did um, yeah they didn't have a single shot I think on target from open play um, you know it's just that penalty which Pirlo seemed to lose his cool afterwards really for the first time in saying look if that's a penalty um, then you, you're giving 10-15 penalties in every game would, um, would you agree with that? Well, I kind of agree that once Chesney, Chesney comes and claims the ball, I don't think Rachmani is, is, is going to get it. Um, now, there, there is you can still blow for a foul in an off-the-ball instant. But Chiellini, in reaching his arm across, I think Chiellini's just jumping. I don't think he's actually intentionally trying to uh, put his hand in Rachmani's face. Yeah, and the point, the point that uh, Pilo made afterwards is, is probably a fair one, which is if Juventus had got a penalty in that circumstance, there would have been uproar. There would have been absolute outrage um, about it. I love it. the conditional like that never happened. But, <laughs> uh, OK, anyway, so <laughs> they lose that 1-1-0, unable to break down 
Napoli's defensive setup, which is slightly concerning about this trip to Portugal because they're Porto are a team who can certainly play that way as well. Their, their defense is what Sergio Conte has built that that side on. We saw that against Man City in the group stages. They were so impressive at the Portuguese side in that group stage after the initial defeat to Man City they didn't they didn't lose another game and I think they only they didn't drop any more goals either. Yeah, but it was Marseille and Olympiacos do you know what I mean I'm not sure you can draw <laughs> too much yeah. from those games because they're not good they're not good in Portugal they were not good against Boavista at the weekend yeah. you know, they've like, drawn their last like four Sergio. games I mean you know yeah, as, as Jules knows not, I mean they're they're trailing sporting by what seven points um, and yeah, that defensive solidity that we saw in the Champions League, where they kept five clean sheets in their last five group stage games. Um, yeah, I think Jules is right. Calibre of opposition needs to be taken into account. City had already qualified when they played them again. Um, but you are right. I mean, this is Sergio Conceição's trademark. He makes them tough to beat. Um, yeah, they aren't necessarily the kind of exciting Porto that other managers have, have taken into taken into the Champions League, Jose Mourinho, for example. But uh, Juventus have struggled when teams park the bus against them. Um, yeah, they've they've had joy since the turn of the year in in being a kind of counter-attacking team uh, when when sort of opponents who fancy themselves against Juventus, who think they've got not as much talent, but they think they are talented enough to take them on, do take them on. And um, yeah, they've been able to break on them. I don't think that's going to happen uh, when they play against Porto. And I think there are other Serie A sides that have, have shown themselves to be better at, at breaking down these these um, stacked defences. Um, you know, Roma of late uh, are really good at that. I think Paolo Fonseca has shown himself to be pretty good at, you know, sort of being daring uh, when it comes to get players behind the last line of defence and really force them back and create space in front of that defence and that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, Juventus is going to be without Artur. I think Artur was a big reason why they started 2021 really well. They're going to be without Cuadrado, and Cuadrado um, has been really kind of important for Pirlo as well because more often than not, he's the guy setting up goals for them. And I think, you know, one of the kind of criticisms at the weekend was that McKenney didn't start. McKenney, Pirlo said, wasn't fit enough to start. He hadn't been fit enough to start, I think, in the second leg of the semi-final of the Cup against uh, Inter either. He's such an important player, particularly when it comes to doing exactly what we've just been talking about midfield runners um, sort of adding to a sense of jeopardy to for, for opposition defences. Um, so it is interesting, but yeah, as with Rafa saying about Bayern, um, yeah, typically in recent years, Juventus managers have been judged by what they've done in the Champions League. Is that different this year, given that yeah, Juventus find themselves in a real battle to retain their title? Um, I still think the Champions League is, is is how they're measuring themselves at the moment. And certainly with a draw like this, which on paper looks favourable, they have to match expectation and get into the, the quarterfinals because as we've seen, they've regressed in Europe since the end of Allegri. You know, going out to Ajax in the quarterfinals, Lyon in the round of 16, another round of 16 defeat would, I think, uh, lead them to the seriously question where this project is going. I would say that uh, Porto looks uh, very very solid defensively and uh, I would say as well that uh, Sergio Conceição is one of those uh, very electrifying managers that if you don't work hard and all that he will let you know and probably you won't play for him anymore but at the same time I think that the best Portos have always been defined by having great strikers that uh, can you know um, 
score clinically uh, the little chances that the team could create. I remember Falcao, I remember Hulk, even Abubakar one season was fantastic, Mario Jardel. And I don't think that Porto has those players up front right now. I mean, we've got Oliveira, we've got uh, Marega, Taremi. Uh, I think that Taremi scored uh, 18 goals for Rio Ave last season, but I don't think that this is still a proven striker in Europe. So the problem of Porto, in my opinion, is that going forward, they are not offering that much. And against Juventus, if you have a chance, you have to score it. Well, loads of draws for them. You mentioned four in a row last week in the cup against Braga, when it wasn't a bus that was parked, actually, uh, on the field. Did you see this? Uh, there was a serious injury for Braga's David Camo. And so they drove an ambulance onto the field to pick him up, which led to one or two issues when the ambulance couldn't drive away again. It kind of broke down. So all the players had to get round the back and literally push it off the field, which is quite an extraordinary sight, especially uh, the deep wheel ruts that were left in, in the turf. Conceição, by the way, giving a debut to his 18-year-old son, Francisco Conceição. He looked good, didn't he, Alvaro? I think so, yeah. I mean... Uh he was lively. He set up a goal that then was cancelled, I think. And uh, didn't he provoke the penalty as well? Yeah, yeah. I think that he he was definitely making the highlights of the game. And uh, I don't know, he's uh, quite a small guy. Uh, he seems to be quite uh, quick, uh, especially technical. So, yeah, uh, I really hope that uh, he can uh, build up from his great uh, debut. Mm. Yep, absolutely. And I hope he works hard because otherwise he'll be out like every other player. Absolutely. Right. Okay, well, that's on Wednesday and it looks like being an intriguing game. The other clash that's on at the same time looks an absolute peach. Sevilla against Dortmund. Sevilla, who've just won nine straight games in all competitions, scoring 18 goals, Alvaro, and conceding just one. Sevilla, who beat Barcelona 2-0 last week in the Cup. Sevilla, who also had that comedy collapse against Krasnodar, but then rescued it back in the group stages and also lost 4-0 at home to Chelsea. But things have changed since then under Yulan Lopetegui, Alvaro, yes? I think so, yeah. This is the pinnacle of uh, Lopetegui's project, really. This is the best moment. I mean, they are uh, fourth on the table with seven points difference over Real Sociedad which I believe that they will keep until the end of the season and they will qualify for the Champions League again. And this is key for Sevilla because for a couple of seasons they didn't qualify for the Champions League and they didn't have Monchi. And Valencia seemed to be the team that uh, was the fourth best in Spain, but then things happen at Valencia and Sevilla hasn't regained the fourth spot. And more importantly, I think that they are competitive in domestic football to the point that uh, if you play against them as Barcelona, Real Madrid or Atletico, you know that... Uh, it's going to be a nail-beating game and Sevilla is going to offer you a hell of a challenge. So I think that uh, Sevilla is doing very well uh, despite uh, little injuries they have had. Jesus Navas, Lucas Ocampos, they are very important for them. Also Acuña, so both uh, fullbacks, uh, probably they won't be available. Definitely not Acuña, let's see Jesus Navas for the game against Dortmund. But uh, the most important thing about uh, Lopetegui is that he has... Uh, instilled this philosophy of uh, partido a partido, of Simeone, game by game. Uh, this is uh, the only way Sevilla does right now. They don't talk about, uh, they don't talk about major targets. Uh, they know that they can fight for the trophies, but they go game by game. Then uh, signings like El Papu Gomez signing go in that direction too. Uh, we want to be big. We want to settle in the Spanish royalty, top four. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think that Papu Gómez can be a player who lifts Sevilla as well, especially in the abs absence of Lucas Ocampos. Uh, and there are a couple of things about Sevilla that uh, I really like. They never lose the plot, normally. They are always keeping the structure and the plan, and uh, they are never you know, um, going mental or going crazy during the game. They are very, very stable and solid. And uh, also they, they go to the games with the belief that they can win. 
However, there is something that I want to see in Sevilla can do, which is a remontada. Because normally when they win, they win comfortably or they score first. But uh, this season, uh, they have done a couple of remontadas, but against teams that are not as good, like Cadiz, Celta, Krasnodar, as you said. But if Dortmund scores first, Sevilla is not a team that uh, will uh, kill you every time they step in your box. I think that Sevilla are a team that need uh, many chances to score a goal. Uh, we saw that in the Europa League last season. And uh, this is the only thing that I think that can go against them. The fact that uh, they are not that prolific in the opponent's box. However, as a team, collectively, they are a hell of a team now. Wow. Is Gomez cup tied? Can he play? Will he play? Yeah, 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 of course. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He, can, he can play, I believe, yeah. Excellent. As for the visitors, Rafa, things not looking so good, hey? Sort of momentum taking them the opposite direction. Just one win in their last seven. Yeah, another disappointing result at the weekend. 2-2 at home against Hoffenheim. Another discussion about... The team just not looking right defensively, conceding stupid goals. Edin Terzic, you know, doing his best and being praised a lot, but hasn't really been able to influence things much for the better since Lucien Favre left. Maybe you could say that Dortmund are in a setup that suits them better. They're a bit more aggressive. They press a bit more. They look a little bit happier, but it's come at the price of still being just as bad defensively. So the good news is that... He won't be doing this much longer, Edin Terzic. I mean, it was always, uh, I think, unlikely that he would be given the job on a full-time basis. But one of the worst-kept secrets has been um, at last revealed. Um, Marco Rosa from Borussia Mönchengladbach will indeed come in at the end of the season to take over the other Borussia at which point Dortmund hoped that they'll still be, of course, in the Champions League because the way things are going... Uh, both Gladbach and Dortmund might miss out and the teams at the top right now are Bayern, Leipzig of course but then you've got Frankfurt and Wolfsburg in the uh, third and fourth position respectively so a real fight for that fourth spot and Dortmund need to really hope that in a strange way that Rosa announcement maybe will give him some kind of push to move forward it sounds strange but I guess they're hoping that they'll have the same effect that Leipzig had when they announced that Nagelsmann was going to come in early. It didn't hurt uh, the season. But they were being Ralph coached Rangnick. by Ralph Ranić at the time rather than Edin Terzic. No, that is I mean, this fair. Is, this that is, is fair. This is the issue with with Dortmund. Were they not a little hasty in dismissing Lucien Favre and giving an interim manager the job for? six or seven months you know I mean it's a long time to basically put your trust in a a number two um you know when there's there's so many games to play so they had, many they had, at stake they were hoping for the flick effect of course and I think under Favre it was no longer viable to go forward the problem I think was not being too hasty the problem was that they were in a position where they were always looking just to somehow get through that last season with Favre. They knew that the change was coming. They knew that Favre was not going to sign a new deal. I think they had earmarked Rosa pretty early on to be his successor. But then what you do in that last year when it doesn't work out? I think they tried to tell themselves it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine. Eventually, I think they realized that they can no longer pretend that everything's going to be okay under Lucien Favre. The fact that it hasn't worked out that well under Tessic is, is another story, really. But I don't think you can accuse them of being hasty in, in getting rid of Lucien Favre because it was two and a half years of doubts, really, 
Um, yeah, I suppose point, I mean hasty in, in in this season's context rather than his contract cycle. Um, yeah, I mean, they got rid of him because they were worried that Champions League might not be the outcome. Um, and of course, that, those worries haven't been allayed by by his uh, successor. But I, I don't think you can really blame them. I think um, the team, certainly the fans, they'd sort of lost faith in, in Favre at that point. Mm, well, if it was a gamble, it certainly hasn't paid off for now. Six points adrift, as are Borussia Mönchengladbach. 2-2 with Hoffenheim at the weekend. Sancho and Holland both scoring. Holland, who, by the way, is still joint top scorer in the Champions League this year, even though he missed the final two group stage games for Dortmund with players like that in their lineup uh, they're always going to pose a threat what does anybody think severe to put out Borussia Dortmund to increase the misery I think that the, those two names you mentioned are key as well I don't think that Sevilla has players of that caliber like uh, Jadon Sancho and, and Haaland but uh, I've seen Sevilla this season playing top teams and uh, they are putting such a fight they are capable of uh, uh, keeping the scoreline low as well. And Chelsea was the only bad exception this season. But you can argue as well that uh, both teams were rotating. In my opinion, Lopetegui made a mistake there because uh, it makes a difference coming first of your group in the Champions League. And he pretty much refused to do that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, collectively, Sevilla is fantastic, but they don't have players like Haaland or Sancho, that's for sure. But they don't have players like Messi either, and they beat... Barcelona yeah, too, no, that, that's true. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Wow, interesting. All right, a uh, quick random tweet from Brian Doyle who says, can we get an update on how Edgar Davids is getting on as Olianense manager in the Portuguese second division? James, you're all over this story. Yeah, what have James, you got? James has been following it since day one, really. Well, I mean, I was watching <laughs> Porto, of course, at the weekend. Um, right. So I just thought I would, I would, you know, sort of skip down a few divisions. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they had was a 2-2 it? draw, James, against uh, Jose Mourinho's hometown club, uh, Vitoria Setubal. Who are actually leading uh, uh, the second division at the moment. So this is an impressive result. In fact, I'm right in thinking that they haven't, they've only had one defeat since Edgar Davids took over. And crucially, he hasn't been sent off again since mm. he was for brawling in his debut game. Yeah, and I, I suppose he, he, he'll be livid, um, James, after, after taking the lead in the 87th minute, which is a great second-half substitution from Edgar Davids. I think really showing the kind of, you know, how much he learned from Marcelo Lippi whilst he was at Juventus. You know, Claudio Mahor uh, coming on, uh, but they then, they then succumbed. Uh, 94th minute penalty from Zakinia. Uh, right. I mean, he must be... I wouldn't have liked to have been in the dressing room after conceding that, James. There you go, Brian. Thanks for that, James. Uh, right, up next, Europa League. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Woo! Europa League, 32 sides involved still. Never mind the quality, feel that wit. Five British teams. you got Spurs at Wolfsburger. That game is going to be played somewhere else, though. I think, is it Turin, that game? Uh, Jose Mourinho, uh, Spurs manager, has never not won this tournament in the same way that Big Sam has never before been relegated. Uh, we shall see anyway. 
but uh, it's quite a record he's got. Uh, Leicester are away at Slavia Prague. Arsenal take on Benfica. Uh, Tony McHugh writing in to say Benfica are having a terrible time of it. Poor management. Three managers in the last year. They're currently lying fourth, 10 points behind Sporting. We'll see if their season improves Thursday night against the Gunners. Antwerp, meanwhile, are taking on Rangers. And then in Budapest, one of the more intriguing ties of this round of 32 in the Europa League, Alvaro, as Real Sociedad take on Man United. Woof! A Man United uh, only, team. Only one thing. I think that yes. they play in, in Torino. Oh, Torino. This one's in Turin. It's, yeah, I yeah. think so. I You're think absolutely so, yeah. right. This yeah. is in Turin. So this was in Turin. Possibly the one I said was in Turin was in Budapest and so on and so forth. But the crux of the matter is it's Real Sociedad against Man United. David Silva against Man United. Nacho Monreal against Man United. Janosai against Man United. Alvaro. What a team. What a team they've got, Real Sociedad. I mean, some of them, they are veteran players, ah. but they, they still have the quality. And uh, I think Real Sociedad is in a decent moment right now. Imanol Aguacil, after the game against Getafe, he was radiant uh, because their team won. They didn't concede the goal. And uh, he was very happy with the defense. I think that this has been the issue for Real Sociedad during the season. And uh, Alexander Isak, the Swedish man, he can't stop scoring right now. I mean, uh, since William Jose left... Uh, he feels that he is the the official number nine of the team and he's doing the job so well. At the same time, Oyarzabal, who seemed a week ago that he was set to, to miss the tiger against Manchester United or definitely the first leg, he played against Getafe the other day and he was all right. So, yeah, this is a good moment for Real Sociedad. This is probably my favorite tiger of the, the Europa League because both teams are pretty good attacking. They One of them... Uh, has a lot of power force up, up front. The other one, Real Sociedad, plays at attractive football. And uh, I do believe that, uh, yeah, Manchester United may be the favourite. In fact, uh, in their precedents against Real Sociedad, they always beat them in Europe or they were comfortable against them. But this time it's different. I think that Real Sociedad uh, comes in a great moment too. All right. But if they're an open, uh, if they play open attacking football, that that might be exactly the kind of opponent that Man United enjoys playing against. So statistically, United actually haven't won in their last nine meetings against Spanish opposition. They have impressed on the road this season, except for, uh, well, at West Brom this weekend and that time in Istanbul. In fact, generally in Europe, not so good away from Old Trafford. So we, we, we shall see. When the draw was made, we already said this is the, the tie of the... Uh of the round, for sure, without a doubt. I, I think it'd be tough for United. Uh, and if they don't play better than they did against West Brom, I think Real Sociedad could, could knock them out. Maybe it's down to the experience, though. And this this is a Real Sociedad, apart from you know some individuals in that squad, including the, the manager, for all of them, this is all new. Was I think United are obviously more used to those kind of big games. They Europe. have that Europa League DNA. Mm. you got Milan taking on Red Star. Milan who, as James mentioned at the start of today's show, went down to the shock of the week. Or was it on Saturday? As high-flying Spezia beat them 2-0. What a goal from Bastoni. Finalmente parte Stevez, il tocco per Bastoni. La construzione verde! Bastoni con il sinistro trafigge! And a local lad. A local lad. In fact, both of their goals came from uh, Spezzini. Uh, kids from uh, Spezia. Giulio Maggiore being the other one. And uh, you mentioned it. Uh, is it a shock? Um, well, 
yeah, it's probably the biggest night in their history since the firemen of Spezia won the league in the kind mm. of although they uh, weren't tail actually end of firemen. the Second World War. Right. They weren't actually firemen. No. So the thing was, because there was a war on... Save this for Galazzo, James. All right, then. So anyway, <laughs> back to you. <laughs> okay. Um, but, I mean, they had beaten uh, Napoli in Naples. Uh, they'd knocked Roma out the cup, even though when they were in the lead, Roma knocked themselves out by making a sixth substitution, which you're not allowed to do. Uh, and last week, they beat Sassuolo at the Mappe Stadium. Um, but... I mean, this is the best season a newly promoted side has had since Kievo, um, back at the turn of the century when Kievo were kind of top of the table around this time of, of that season, or certainly in, in Champions League contention. And, you know, no one really expected it in terms of the uh, squad that uh, Spezia had. They, you know, they've got like 18 players on loan, you know, and talented players, you know, from uh, youth academies at Inter, Atalanta and Milan. Um, but it's all about the manager, really. You know, we've mentioned the manager who has had three promotions in the last three years with three different clubs, from Serie D to C, from C to B, from B to A. And this would be like another one of them, keeping them up or even making them a mid-table side. Um, it's pretty extraordinary. But um, yeah, they they gave uh, Milan the hardest night they've had, I think, uh, certainly this season, along with the Atlanta game. And now it feels like a pivotal week or two weeks for, for Milan because not only have they lost the lead in Serie A, they have to go to Belgrade um, to play Red Star in the Europa League on Thursday. A pretty historic game in the history of Milan if you go back to Saki's era and, and, and then winning back-to-back European Cups. Uh, famous night at the Maracanã in the fog, uh, or famous afternoon as it was. Um, and then they've got the the Milan derby on Sunday, um, which will see Lukaku and Ibrahimovic uh, come up against each other. But it's a it's a tight turnaround because it's a early afternoon game uh, that one, so they won't have a lot of time to to rest and recover. And then they've got Red Star again at San Siro, and then Roma. So I mean, there's uh, there's this is where I think Milan's okay. They didn't start the season with the objective of winning the title. They want to get into the Champions League again, but it's a major stress test for them, I would mm. say. I think they got pretty used to, got pretty comfortable there in, in first place. Not in the sense mm. that they relaxed too much, but certainly this weekend they didn't have a single shot on target in that game with uh, Spezia, which is uh, worrying uh, for their manager. The the uh, Spezia boss, Vincenzo Italiano, is of course the same fellow who Aurelio De Laurentiis wants to bring in at season's end to replace Gattuso down at Napoli. So we'll see how... Uh, their campaign continues. But Born in the, Germany. I'm surprised Rafa's not claiming him. Um, mm. and Karlsruhe. Yeah. I'll, I'll wait for the results. <laughs> <laughs> so this weekend, though, the derby, as you mentioned, is Ibrahimovic up against Lukaku again. And we've been so busy with the Europa League and, and that, that there's not been a lot of focus on that. But that's, that's going to be quite a rematch. It is. Um, I mean, it was very ugly uh, scene um, back in that uh, cup quarterfinal, uh, which you know went on for for a long time. This kind of uh, verbal exchange between the two of them. Uh, the Italian Football Federation opened the investigation. Um, that investigation is ongoing. As uh, Latin has has been interviewed by the kind of Sporting Disciplinary Commission, putting that case together. I think Lukaku is due to speak to them uh, this week as well. So we'll we'll uh, learn a little bit more. Uh, I think, you know, sort of by the end of this week, maybe the Italian Football Federation will have all the facts and, and then we'll proceed um, on them. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, that has already become part of this Derby's folklore. I mean, there's a, there's a big mural um, in, in the city of Milan. I think on maybe either one of the walls uh, near San Siro or at the, yeah, at the stadium um, with, with them going head to head. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, it, I imagine, you know, one, one day in the, in the future, we'll see it as a, a choreography in one of the Curve um, nice. before one of the games. Yeah. Maybe this weekend. Who can say? Who can say? Anyway, huge games coming up for Milan. Elsewhere, just to round up one or two of the other games in the Thursday night Europa League lineup, Daniel Greenfield says, How about some love for our forgotten Swiss friends? Rafa, Jean Pierre Nsame, and Christian Fasnacht at Young Boys, who bang goals in for fun pretty much every match, says Daniel. Have they got any chance against Leverkusen? Daniel, if this helps says that they have a, he thinks they have a fighting chance to provide an upset. Thanks. Well, I'd agree with that. I mean, Leverkusen are famously, infamously inconsistent. It's part of their DNA. They don't seem to ever find the kind of resilience and fortitude to see through a whole season. They have quality, but even at last weekend, you know, we're 2-0 up against the second worst team in the Bundesliga and what was the outcome a 2-2 draw against Mainz and they would have been very lucky to win so Leverkusen squad wise should be one of the favorites to win the competition but in terms of their recent history and application and also how they crumbled against Inter in the same competition not long ago yeah I think young boys have a chance all right Young boys, young boys. Granada taking on Napoli, which I reckon looks like an interesting game. And also, Jules, how about that Lille Ajax, the league on leaders Lille? Ooh, the Sven Botman derby. <laughs> taking on the side six points clear in the Eredivisie Ajax. Ajax, who haven't lost in 10 matches. Jules. Yeah, but they, one of the reasons why they've been so good is because Sebastian Alea has played so well since leaving West Ham to join Ajax. And the fact is, they forgot to put him on the list, so no Sebastian Aller in those two games, which is... Cr- I mean, at that level, come on, you've got one job. Just one job, yeah. and then... That was the same week as Onana Roma. as well, wasn't it? So, yeah, Onana is... You know, there was that suspension because of... Apparently, he took the pills of his wife to, um, to lose weight, you know, as some do. I think Colotore was another one before. Uh but yeah, so I, I, on paper, it's uh, not just on paper, it's a hell of a game because Lila, although they only drew this weekend, they sit top of the, the table in Ligue 1. They, they've been great all season. We saw them against Milan where Yazici scored a hat-trick. They were so good against Celtic as well, uh, even if they lost in, in Glasgow. But So they, they, they can certainly compete, I think, with Ajax over the two legs. Uh, and Ajax have been fantastic, as you said. I think Halle is a huge blow for them, though. And I think Lille can take advantage of it. And Sven Botman, who, funnily enough, has never played for Ajax, first team, although he was there at the academy and then went to Heronvin and then went to, uh, to Lille. And there's no doubt that he will leave this summer for a top, top club for a lot of money. Wow. What a smorgasbord of continental delights awaits us over the next three evenings. Thank you so much for illuminating that list of fixtures with your knowledge. Uh, we've got more of that kind of thing coming up next week when we look to the next round of fixtures and look back on these ones and all that sort of thing. All the usual thing and your Totally Football Show European edition. For now, it's many, many thanks to Alvaro and James and Julian and Rafa for being with us today. Thank you. 
Thank you, James. No. Oh. Thanks. And uh, and you listener, I do hope you'll join us next Tuesday. For now from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual places, or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.